Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, episode 119. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Viborg Thun. I sincerely hope you are doing well, my very dear listeners. I know these are difficult times for everyone. It is my hope that my humble podcast can serve as a small welcome distraction from all the terrible news that keep coming every day. In the last TSK episode, we left off, just as Toad Colep had purchased his very own house, and rather large property. His own fiefdom, if you will. He did so after having murdered four innocent human beings at the local superbike motorcycle shop. But he was far from finished with his deviant activities, and it is this that we will explore in this episode. Enjoy. This part is important. I know no one likes e-begging, and especially in these trying times. However, this podcast is 100% free to listen to, and I, as everyone else, have bills and audio engineers to pay. So if, and only if, you can afford a cup of coffee from your local cafe, consider donating the same amount on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast to support your humble host. Donating on Patreon does not come without benefits. If you join the TSK $10 Plus Club, you get access to 100% exclusive bonus episodes where I go into detail in other dark areas of human behavior. The newest episode there features the most gruesome murder of all time, in your humble host's humble opinion. 
More bonus content is coming very soon, I promise. So, don't miss out. Head on over to patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast and join now. Todd Colep was in many ways a stereotypical serial killer. His behavior is reminiscent of a kind of a Deep South version of Patrick Bateman from the film American Psycho. Just like Bateman, Colep could put on a persona, a mask, if you will, of a likable and professional southern businessman in any situation. He was a great salesman, had excellent entrepreneurial skills, and knew who was who in his community and how he could get ahead. But behind his carefully curated facade, there was a howling darkness. His true nature was that of deep and severe sexual deviancy. And sometimes his mask of the typical good old boy southern salesman would slip, and his true self would show, if only for a brief moment. He only cared to maintain his mask around people he needed in order to advance his career and business. Everyone else, especially waitresses, would see a different kind of person. He would frequent different restaurants around his local area. When there, he would ogle and leer at the waitresses, especially the attractive ones. Oftentimes, he would leave large tips for meals, and then invite the waitress that served him to his home, sometimes with sleazy suggestions of what he wanted to do once there. In the words of many of the waitresses who dealt with him, Todd was almost universally categorized as quote-unquote creepy. His favorite dining destination was a Waffle House restaurant in the town of Roebuck. He creeped out one of the waitresses so much that whenever he arrived, she would ask the male cook to take his order instead. Todd, Colep, who was gaining a considerable amount of weight at this time, would always order a breakfast of six eggs with a double portion of cheese with each egg. It was hair. At the Waffle House that Todd would become obsessed with Megan, actually pronounced Megan, Lee McCraw Coxie, one of the waitresses on staff. Megan was 25 years old and married to Johnny Coxie, who was 29. She was an attractive young woman with brown hair. He was a handsome young man with dark features that easily could have played the college bad boy in any movie. They both lived in Spartanburg 
and had a child together. Unfortunately for the pair, they had developed a dire drug habit and Megan's paycheck at the Waffle House didn't come close to covering the costs of buying drugs. In addition to looking like a typical movie bad boy, Johnny was very much a bad boy in life. He had a criminal record for child endangerment, driving under the influence and possession of drug paraphernalia. Megan had also previously been arrested for child neglect after her young baby tested positive for heroin. Megan had then confessed that she used heroin in the first six months of her pregnancy and had started up again after giving birth. Todd Colab would get to know a lot of this during his regular visits to the Waffle House and despised the drug addicts. He looked down on them, but he didn't limit his rage and hatred to drug addicts. He had no tolerance for almost anyone, really. And he let everyone know quite frequently on his Facebook profile exactly what he thought of them. I quote, We need Ebola to come as a huge snowstorm, wipe out half the population, then melt away. I'm just tired of entitlement, rude-ass people for no reason, people who race to cut in front of you to slam on brakes to make a right turn, and that motherfucker that stands in the ale at the grocery store and dude you know who you are, that blocks the ale checking out the microbrews and blocking everyone on their way to their average Michelob bear, fucking move. End quote. Todd Colep's full confession to detectives is available online, and he actually tells us what happened to Megan and Johnny. Once he had locked on to Megan as his object of desire, having seen her several times in the Waffle House, he started to proposition her. He gave her large tips, offering her even more money if she would join him at his house. Megan was desperate for cash, but was wary of the creepy fat man offering her cash with a leery grin on his face. She would, however, meet Colep again in the Waffle House parking lot. She had her husband, Johnny, with her, and Todd had put on his best good old boy persona. He propositioned both of them that he needed some work done on his property, and he would pay them both good money to come work for him. Feeling reasonably safe in each other's company and desperate for cash, the pair was open to Colhep's offer. Eventually they agreed to come work on his property, but he had to pick them up from their home later. He did so and drove them both to his house. They all went inside. According to Colep, Johnny then immediately pulled out a knife. Colep was very fond of firearms, and he was always, quote-unquote, packing. Again, according to Colep, this was when he pulled out his gun and shot Johnny twice in the chest, killing him almost instantly. When Johnny dropped, he fell forward onto his face. Colep, went behind him and shot him again in the spinal column to make sure he was dead. As this was happening, Megan apparently just stood there, and Colep states that she was fully aware that her husband planned on robbing Colep. When Johnny was dead, Colep told Megan to sit down on the floor and do exactly what he ordered her to do. He handcuffed her 
and told her he wasn't going to hurt her. He then proceeded to use a small tractor he had to dig up a small hole in a secluded area behind his house. He placed Johnny's corpse in it and filled in the hole. When that was done, he found some chains he had laying about and tied Megana properly with that. At this time, he had his now famous shipping container in place further in on his property. There he stored some ammo for his firearms and he chained up Megan. He also said he fed Megan and gave her Newport's cigarettes. After a while, he claims he gave Megan a choice. He claims he told her he knew there was a warrant out for her arrest and that he would give her $4,000 to keep her mouth shut and they would both walk away from the whole situation unharmed. In response to this offer, Megan apparently got so excited that she gave Colep a blowjob. However, he didn't let her go. According to his testimony, he kept her locked up for two more days due to the weather being very bad, and he didn't want to travel in that bad of a weather. On the second day, again according to Colep, Megan had wrecked the inside of the container he kept her in, pulling down a lot of ammo boxes from the walls and destroying unnamed items. He then proceeded to walk her outside of the container and shot her in the back of the head with the same Glock he had used to kill Johnny, killing her instantly. After this, he went on to bury her in the same manner he had buried Johnny. So that's the story that Colap himself told police during interrogation. It is difficult to listen to as he keeps changing details in his story and jumps forward and backward in time a lot. The way he talks is very indicative of one thing, lying. In many previous The Serial Killer podcast episodes I've covered this very symptomatic trait among psychopaths. They lie and lie often. The thing that shines through when listening to Todd Collip speak is his wish to present a certain veneer of respectability. Oh, he didn't actually want to kill those people. But he had no choice. They were crazy and was about to rob him. Also, it was raining. The fact that he had chained Megan up inside a custom-fitted shipping container placed out of sight inside his rather large rural property. Oh, that was just because she kept setting fire to stuff with the lighter he so kindly had given her. I have no doubt in my mind that what actually happened to Megan and Johnny was very different from the story he told the police. He hated people and loved feeling superior to people he viewed as inferior. Status and power was extremely important to him. He probably drove the couple up to his ranch. Whether or not Johnny had a knife is beside the point. Colep had no intention of ever letting the pair leave either way. When they arrived at the ranch, he probably taunted Johnny, gloating. Then he shot Johnny and proceeded to chain Megan up inside the chipping container he had built to be his secret sex dungeon. Then he told her 
that unless she did exactly what he wanted sexually, he would kill her too. Unfortunately for her, Kolep was not satisfied with her response to his demands. So, after about a week, during which she endured repeated rapes, he walked her out of the container under the ruse of letting her go, and then shot her in the back of the head. I do not claim these things out of whole cloth, because, you see, Megan and Johnny were victims number five and six, but Todd Collap was not finished. He wanted more. But one of his next victims survived, and that would prove to be his final downfall. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener, and as a man, I was and am often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations, but never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serialkiller today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash serialkiller. After having now killed six fellow human beings, and no police ever came around asking questions, Todd Colap felt invincible. He thought himself superior to not just the police, but the whole world. Collab was a frequent poster on Facebook. 
The profile pic he used was of himself when he was much younger than his now 45 years. Back in his younger days, Kolop had been a decent-looking guy. Now, however, he was a huge man, with fat and flab hanging on his whole body like potato sacks. Not only had he a double chin, his was triple. And he did not have any plans to slim down. He was having too much fun. On Facebook on the 30th of September 2016, about a month after his next abduction slash murder, he wrote the following, and I quote, Just admit it. You look at the news, you see the political crap and the school shootings and just general what the hell is going on. Zombie apocalypse is starting to look better and better every day. End quote. The ploy of hiring couples to come work at his property for seemingly too good to be true pay had worked well one time, so Kolhep went ahead and tried it again. This time, the unsuspecting targets were Kayla Brown and her boyfriend Charles Carver. Kayla was, just as Megan had been, an attractive young brunette. Charles was quite different from Johnny. He had no prior convictions and looked more like a typical office worker than a bad boy thug. Todd would hire Kayla Brown and her boyfriend Charles Carver to do cleaning around his residence on the 31st of August 2016. Todd had known Kayla Brown, and she had posted on social media that she was going over to his place to do some work. The couple arrived at the farm and Todd unlocked the fence for them. They followed his car in their own vehicle, driving about 500 meters up. They came to a stop at a two-story barn with a large storage container on the side. Todd then instructed the couple that he wanted them to take some hedge clippers and trim the underbrush around the barn. He gave them both a bottle of water and a pair of hedge clippers before heading back inside the barn. The couple waited patiently, not thinking that anything was amiss. That is, until Colep came back out of the barn with a gun in his hand. He fired at Carver first, not giving him a chance to react. According to Todd's mother's later testimony, he shot him because he had quote-unquote a really smart mouth. Todd would shoot Carver three times in the chest. Coleb then grabbed Kayla from behind, placing her in a headlock. I'll kill you if you don't come with me, he said. Kayla, in a state of shock, couldn't help but comply. It's easier to control someone when you take someone they love, Todd Colep snared in her ear. And if you fight back, I'll kill you. End quote. Colep dragged Kayla into the barn where he raped her. He then chained up Kayla and told her that he didn't want to hurt her unless she forced him to. She was fed once a day and was coerced into not trying to escape after having been shown the graves of Colep's other victims. He would also tell Kayla of Megan that he had held captive on the property. She pissed me off, Colep said, so I killed her. Colep would proceed to tell Kayla about his life. 
He described the murders he committed in gruesome detail and bragged to her that his kill count was nearing three digits. This is quite a different story than the one Colep himself told police. Kayla was kept in the same shipping container that Megan had been locked up in. When Kolob was not with her to rape her, which was a daily occurrence, she would sit on a dingy mattress in the back corner of the container. There she was given a few crime novels to read and had a collar around her neck that was chained to the wall. For a toilet she was given a bucket. The container doors were securely shut when Kolob was not around. Kayla understood that Kolob was extremely dangerous and that the smallest thing could set him off in a violent, murderous rage. So she adapted and played the willing victim, acquiesced to all of Kolob's deviant demands. For two months she held out, never giving up, never losing hope, refusing to let Kolob destroy her. And it paid off. By targeting Kayla and Charlie, Colop had made a drastic mistake. They were not down-and-out people with criminal records and a drug habit. They were ordinary, law-abiding citizens with many loving friends and family that missed them. Police were actively searching for them both. There were also several news reports about the missing couple, and Colep was arrogant enough to post about it on Facebook while having Kayla chained up. On the 26th of September, 2016, he wrote, and I quote, Oh wait, that person just went to the beach with a friend. The other person found with her parole violation boyfriend. In the event I become missing, please note no one would take me. I eat too much and I am crabby. They would just bring me back or give me twenty bucks for a cab ride. Most likely, if I am missing, it's because my dumb ass did something on that tractor again, and I'm too stubborn to go to the doctor. I got nine lives. End quote. However, the search continued, and Colep then had a fantastically stupid idea. He forced Kayla to log in to her own Facebook account and then proceeded to post fictitious posts about the couple's whereabouts from her account. He wrote in her name that they had moved away and wanted to be left alone. No one was fooled by this, and Kayla's mother had also discovered that Kayla's dog, that she loved dearly, had been left behind in her apartment. She rightly refused to believe her daughter would move away, leaving her dog behind. She had immediately filed a missing persons report to the police, and the police took it dead serious. They had by now managed to locate a signal from Kayla and Charlie's mobile phones to Todd Colep's property, and were moving in. On the 3rd of November, the police came knocking on his door. There is actually a video online of when police arrived at Colep's large brick house. The video shows Colep, with part of his massive gut hanging out, standing in the doorway listening to the police tell him they have a search warrant. Colep refused 
to own up to any wrongdoing. Initially, he told them that Brown and Carver had gone to his property to work a pruning and clearing job on or around the 31st of August. But they left an hour later because it was apparently too hot. The detectives at the site, especially Detective Charlene Ezel, didn't buy the flustered fat man's story. As they started to search the property, it didn't take them long to see the partially camouflaged shipping container. What followed was something extremely rare. The door to the container was locked tight, and Coleb didn't provide any means to open it. The police officers quickly got hold of cutting equipment and started working on breaking down the door. The whole session is, amazingly, captured on video and is available online. It is very much reminiscent of the various rescue scenes from famous serial killer crime films. Once the officers break through and manage to open the steel container doors, they rush in and find Kayla Brown, huddled in the back corner. She is clearly very afraid, but seems to relax a little as the officers assure her they are there to rescue her. I'll play a small clip for you, dear listener, right now. Just a barrel. Just a girl, just a girl. How are you, honey? This we're is bolt cutters. This is our best. Cutters. He's a paramedic. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to get you out of there, okay? Just hang loose for me. Anybody got a, I need a handcuff key. Handcuff key. I don't have I got it right here. Hold up. Y'all slide back. Hold on. He's, He's got, got a light. Get we got to let you get pictures. Randy, let, okay. let me see your light, Randy. You can, you can put your hand down, sweetheart. I got no. Mine's in my car. I got no. Mine's on the car. I didn't have any gloves on Bolt cutter. Just hit, hit the chain right there, loose. Yeah. Just no, just right there at her hand, Brandon. We'll we'll get it off. We'll get it off here. Cut it right here. Do you know where your buddy is? Charlie. Yes. He shot him. He shot him. Who did? Todd Colehep shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest, wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor. Locked me down here and I've never seen him again. Okay. He says he's dead and buried. He says there's several bodies dead and buried out here. And okay. he says that the dogs will be ruined if they go looking because there's red pepper. We're going to step you out, sweet dog, because there's what? Red pepper. Okay. Okay. Tell the dog people yeah. that. He says no, there's pepper yeah. everywhere around the car. The first okay. was in a ravine onto the land. Okay. As you can hear from the audio, the woman is shaken but coherent, and her first courageous instinct is not to scream for her own safety or anything like that. Her first instinct is to tell the officers clearly who the man who has abducted her is and what he has done. It is indeed inspiring to watch. Todd Kolev was immediately arrested and taken to county jail for interrogation. Faced with the death penalty, it didn't take long for him to start talking and admitting to his crimes. Kolev was eventually charged with four counts of murder in relation to the Chesney shootings and one count of kidnapping in relation to Brown's abduction. He was later charged with three additional counts of murder for the murders of Carver and the Coxies, 
along with one additional count of kidnapping and three counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. On the 26th of May, 2017, Kolep pleaded guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping and one count of criminal sexual assault and was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole in a plea bargain that spared him from the death penalty. Although his defense swore at his sentencing that there were no other victims to be found, Kolep has since repeatedly admitted there were at least two other murders. He claims he killed two robbers who attacked him with a knife and that he dumped their bodies off a dead-end road off Interstate 26 between Spartanburg and Columbia. However, no remains were found, and his recounting of these killings resembles bragging more than actual crimes. As of tonight, he has yet to give authorities any more specific details about these or any other crimes. He is currently serving his sentence at Broad River Correctional Institution in Columbia, South Carolina. And so ends the Todd Kolep saga. I hope you enjoyed listening to me telling it to you. The next episode, number 120 in number, will feature a brand new serial killer expose. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. This podcast would not be possible if it had not been for my dear patrons who pledge their hard-earned money every month. There are especially a few of those patrons I would like to thank in person. These patrons are my 18 most loyal to the Serial Killer podcast. Many of them have contributed for at least the last 49 episodes, and their names are Maud, Amber, Anne, Cassandra. Evan, James, Jennifer, Kathy, Lisa, Lisbeth, Mark, Mickey, Monica, Philip, Russell, Skortnia, Troy, and Zasha. You really help produce this show, and you have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. If you wish to join this exclusive club of TSK producers, go to the serial killer podcast.com slash donate or patreon.com slash the serial killer podcast and pledge $15 or more to have your name read live on this show. Finally, I wish to thank you, dear listener, for listening. If you like this podcast, you can support it by donating on patreon.com slash the serial killer podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook.com slash the SK Podcast, or by posting on the subreddit the SK Podcast. Thank you. Good night and good luck.